0: I have always wanted to do a graphic novel episode on this podcast i know damon
1: has as well damon welcome back thank you thank you it's like my third fourth time i don't remember i've been having fun
0: we're welcoming two new people to the podcast today hello drew
2: hello so excited to be here
0: drew from circulation and then another youth librarian here hello julia
3: hi thanks for having me
0: welcome to the graphic novel podcast party it's the ferndale library podcast and it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library and my name is jeff and we we've got so much to dive into you all brought so many notes <laughs> i think it i think it goes without saying this is like a catchphrase i am seeing all over social media and tiktok lately and it's kind of a a soapbox that a lot of libraries and bookstores have been standing on lately and it is that graphic novels count as reading i think that goes without saying today but i think we should start damon by kind of distinguishing graphic novels comic books
1: yeah totally so when you asked me to do this episode and I was looking through some of my favorite graphic novels on my Goodreads, I was looking and I realized that most of my examples of graphic novels were actually comics. So comics are going to be things that are published serially, uh, usually either monthly or bimonthly or sometimes even more than that. But they often get bound into the trade collected editions where they have like, four to six issues of a comic in a single volume, Mm -hmm. which other people often will call a graphic novel. Technically, it is not a graphic novel. It is a collected comic. But I think for the purposes of today, we're probably going to be using the terms pretty interchangeably. I think so. I think so. And
0: this might be inaccurate or lazy, but I always thought of like a graphic novel tends to have a beginning and end. And graphic and comic books are a little looser. They might be ongoing for indeterminate periods
1: sure totally and that's not to say that graphic novels can't have sequels or have like be a part of a series but comic books tend to be more digestible smaller chunks
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and then of course there's manga too which is an art form usually or entirely in black and white for starters but we aren't covering manga today
1: yeah so we are not but manga is traditionally like think comic books in japan it can be Any sort of genre, you've got your romance mangas, you've got your adventure mangas, you've got everything. Um, It would be a whole new episode that I hope we can do someday. Yes, absolutely.
0: Well, I want to start off just going by, I mean, we are all avid graphic novel readers. What's what's the most, very most recent thing everyone's read? Who wants to go first?
2: I can go first. Yeah. Um, So I just finished... Um, a, a graphic memoir done in very, very short episodic pieces to kind of like undermine that sense of the graphic novel as being, as having a more continuity to it. It's called Talk to My Back. It's by Murasaki Yamada, and it's set in an apartment complex between 1981 and 1984. Um, it's very, very simple art. And over the course of these years, we watch the main character, who is a woman named Shurikuru go through the process of identifying what she's unhappy with in her life, separating herself emotionally from her children to a certain extent to allow them independence. And it doesn't get to the point where she transitions away from her marriage despite the risk, but it shows all of the internal processes in these three- to five-page stints. And the amount of emotional depth that is conveyed from her internal monologue in these very simple drawings is really, really profound. I loved it.
0: How about you, Julia?
3: Well, I'm currently reading one, despite the fact that I've been recommending it to people for like months now. I'm just reading it now, but <laughs> I know <laughs> it's Hashtag
1: librarian life.
3: Yes. It's called Moms by Yangshin Ma, and it's a Korean graphic novel that recently got translated by Janet Hung. It follows this great group of mothers in their mid-50s. They're all kind of going through a bit of a crisis they're like struggling with financial aspects of their lives or romantic relationships having boring jobs things like that and in order to counteract this feeling of a lack of fulfillment the group really embraces some crazy outrageous adventures they get into like a bar brawl they're like going <laughs> night clubbing it's great (laughs) and what i love about this book is that the author literally based it on his mom's diaries that he found (laughs) and so it's fiction but it's like teetering on auto fiction where it's like oh this is kind of reality and it's really fun it's funny it's realistic i love it so far
0: what is the illustration style is it more realistic is a is it a little augmented cartoony
3: it's a little cartoony okay. it yeah. sounds like
1: it should be though yes you know, because of the antics
3: very much
1: that sounds amazing and i just i really wonder what his mom thinks of this book
3: right <laughs> like yeah. is
1: like, she like, still alive is she reading these
3: i would need to look into that <laughs> but i can imagine like if i did that my mom She would not even touch the book. She would be like, I'm not interested. Like, I already lived it enough.
1: How about you, Damon? Uh, The most recent one I read is not about middle-aged women. Um, It is (laughs) a middle-grade novel. Um, It is called Clash by Kayla Miller. It is the fourth book in the Click series following sixth-grade Olive as she moves through life and works through middle school. Uh, the first book actually starts in fifth grade, but now we're in sixth grade. So yeah, it's just kind of realistic fiction, her trying to befriend the new kid in school. And I don't have much more to say about it, but I was just wanted to be honest about the last one that I read. Mm-hmm, so,
0: yeah. mm-hmm. I'm actually holding the one that I just read, uh, even though this is not a visual medium, it's called <laughs> Heathen. By Natasha Alturiki and Rachel Deering, and it is about Vikings. It's about a woman Viking, actually, who is born into this age when women are being subjugated, but she is broken away. She is a self-ascribed heathen, and uh, her her mission is to to rescue a Valkyrie god, uh, Brynhild, from this like all-encompassing, everlasting flame that Odin has trapped her in. You have to be sort of worthy and heroic to break through the flame to rescue her. And she does. And then the adventure begins. And uh, I, I like this style. It's <laughs> it's a limited color palette, and some of it goes into kind of, it's like sketchy at points and then hyper-realistic at others. I really enjoyed it. It was a fun ride. Well-paced. Um, let's talk about like uh, how we got into graphic novels. Does everybody remember what some of your first graphic novels that you ever read were? I'm sorry. I don't head?
1: remember the very first one I read, but I remember the graphic novel that I remember the most that got me excited about them. Mm-hmm. And it was surprisingly late in the game this was probably only 10 years ago a little less than that even but i had gone to the library to kill some time i was meeting up with a friend later that day and i saw a book on the shelf called nimona and have any of you read love it oh my gosh fantastic so nimona is by author nd stevenson uh they recently or he recently changed his name but uh yeah so it's about a shapeshifter girl who apprentices to a guy who is trying to be the best evil supervillain, and it is amazing. It's one that I'm sitting there in the library, trying to be quiet, and I am cracking up. There are tears going down my face because it was so funny, and I actually went out and bought it immediately after leaving the library because I knew that I would want to read it more than once. So, yeah, it was colorful. It's bright, full of adventure, goofy. And it just, I'd never had a book like that, a graphic novel book, at least like that, that really made me laugh. And that's really what got me, seeing how you can make funny art combined with funny words to make this amazing medium.
0: Excellent. I have a comic book answer uh, and I'm gonna show my age, but it goes back to the early nineties when the X-Men were kind of rejuvenated in 1991 by Chris Claremont. And that just felt like a leap forward it felt like comic books grew up for me and it was even though i was a tiny tiny kid it did not it felt exciting to not be reading kid stuff or uh and that's like a misconception of what comic books really even are but it's an amazing amazing series and that led into the early 90s cartoon for x-men on fox and you can just continue drawing that line to our current like comic book Marvel mania today. But it really, really started with, with that for me. How about you?
2: Uh, mine also kind of links into comic books. There's a, there's a prelude and then there's a true beginning. And the prelude is 1992. And my art teacher um, had gotten the, I believe first edition hardcover copy of Mouse Volume One by Art <laughs> Spiegelman. And it was on her desk. And I thought, oh, cute mice. So I asked to borrow it. And oh my. there was um, <laughs> a level of realization regarding how my education, specifically with regards to world history, was really failing me dramatically. Mm-hmm. But um, I did read the second volume when it came out, and I didn't touch it. But then in 2010, and I am even older than Jeff, um, my then five-year-old child saw a poster for Free Comic Book Day. And even though they had never read a comic book and I had not read a comic book in approximately 16 years, we decided to go. And while we were there, I picked up um, the first five, well, first three or four issues of Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth. And I was immediately sucked in. Uh, When uh, Mr. Lemire both writes and illustrates his work, there is um, kind of like a primitive sense to it, which really tied in well to this post-apocalyptic, post-pandemic hybrid animal world. Mm -hmm. It was one of those situations where I feel like the art conveys so purely the world building that the story is dependent on, um, that it really, to me, is one of the best elements of, of graphic novels. So from there, I did get into comic compendiums before I circled back into more traditional graphic novels. And so I started, uh, I found Brian K. Vaughan um, and read all of Why the Last Man and all of Garth Ennis's Preacher. Um, and I would just like to state, I have never seen any of the television shows for these. <laughs> I realized when I was listening, I'm like, oh, yeah, these all exist in they've, the television realm. But I found them all so
3: satisfying um, with the art as presented in the books that I've never sought them out.
0: Julia, what was okay. your what was your one?
3: Mine feels very elementary now. But my cute mouse really was a cute mouse, OK? <laughs> I was reading baby mouse books by Jennifer Holm. Mm, yeah. I did not even know because my library didn't have a graphic novel section, they didn't have graphic novel stickers. I just kind of pulled them, they were with all the other like middle grade fiction. And then I was like, oh, this is a book, but like better because like it's all pink and fun and I loved it. Like, Baby Mouse is so not serious, but my little perfectionist heart loved the series because Baby Mouse is always messing everything up. And it's always okay. And I was like, that's what I needed. (laughs) So that was definitely like my first graphic novel I got into, even though I didn't even know Mm -hmm. it was a graphic novel. That's
0: wonderful. And I wanted to get into, and we could have even started with this, like what it is about this art form, this, this genre of storytelling that, that we all appreciate most that we find fulfilling as readers. I don't even know what I had the answer, but you all have lots of notes. I'd love to hear what you think.
3: <laughs> well, recently, and by recently, I mean the past couple of years, I was going through like major reading fatigue. I was in grad school. I was looking at a lot of words all the time. And I was like, wow, is this ruining reading for me? And that's when I got back into graphic novels. This was like 2020-ish. And I think graphic novels can just be such a great format for people that maybe struggle getting into reading, are more visual learners, are having reading fatigue, like just want something a little bit more immersive maybe than a traditional novel can be. And yeah, that's like definitely what made me get back into it. But I feel like there's so many things that can just make graphic novels such a great format for a variety of people that maybe don't explore that option. So
1: I totally agree with that. I also wrote down less tiring in my notes, Mm. um, that, that reading fatigue. You can read them for, it feels like you can read them for so much longer before your eyes start getting tired and it's just... You feel like you accomplish so much more because suddenly, oh, I've read a whole book in one sitting and I've only been reading for a half hour. This is so cool. How did I do that? I really also like in graphic novels seeing all the different art forms and the different illustration styles. I'll definitely say that certain ones draw me in easier than others, um, but it's still really cool to see what different authors do with different things. The Lumberjanes series is one of my favorites. And it's written by a whole team of authors and a whole team of illustrators. And so some volumes, you'll go from one volume to the next volume and suddenly it'll be like a completely different art style because somebody else is illustrating it, but it's still taking that same core set of characters and putting them on journeys. And it's just, I love that. It's really cool. Yeah.
2: There's an interpretive element present in graphic novels that are not present in in non-graphic work. So when I get a graphic novel, the first thing I do is go through the first five or so pages and not read any words. Uh, Get a sense of how the art flows um, and how the serial structure is going to go. Is this gonna have a lot of full page spreads? Is this gonna be a quarter system? Like, how is it going to go? And from that, I often get a sense of, here's um, here's how I think it's going to flow. And when the um, writer contradicts that, sometimes I get frustrated, um, but other times I'm really impressed. And I think one thing that makes a good graphic novel is the relationship between um, the author and the illustrator or illustrators and authors and whether or not their serial, their ideas of the serialization seem to really build on each other or seem to simply be here's words and here's story mm. and they overlap here. So the ones that like really, really strike me are the ones where there's kind of like a seamless flow. And I'm still surprised, but I can see where the flow is
0: coming from. Mm-hmm. I really respond to that, that interpretive. I I really like uh, this collaborative uh, element that is going on between the author and the illustrator and how the illustrators are telling the story as much as the author is and how there can be such variety and dynamism added to a simple scene of dialogue because of the decisions that you're seeing being made by the illustrator of... Maybe it's suddenly a close-up of the person's face, or it's a different angle, and and it's cinematic, I guess, almost in that in that in that respect. There's jokey memes that say, you know, reading is staring at you know dead trees and hallucinating things in your head, or whatever. Uh, you are when you're usually reading a book, you're trying to like maybe try to picture it in your head as though or a movie. The illustrator's doing that for you, but making very exciting decisions while doing that. I love that about graphic novels. But then there's another element. There's there's, there's sometimes where there's there's author and graphic author and illustrator are one and the same, mm-hmm.
1: and that's also interesting too. Yeah, we see that a lot with um, web comics that have yeah. been published mm-hmm. that it's the same person doing both the illustrating and the all the text going into it. And I find that fascinating too because then they don't have to like agree with somebody how it needs to go. They just need to decide for themselves. And you really get to see the boundaries kind of being pressed with what you're able to do mm-hmm. with. Like even just with how things go in between the lines on the comics and just how they make it flow. It's just, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm.
3: Yes. One of my favorite like authors of graphic novels is Lisa Hanawalt. And she also makes shows which she, yeah, she made Bojack Horseman, Tuka and Birdie. She makes some great graphic novels and she's doing all the writing and all the illustrations. Incredible. Yeah. It's like a very deep world that Mm -hmm. she's built Mm -hmm. with her illustrations and writing which is really cool and
0: then question for parent but also youth librarians in the room i'm so glad you're all here uh (laughs) i don't know how uh, how typical this interaction is and i'm not I'm not going to call out any patrons, but you, you see a lot of people also talking about on social media, a librarian will encounter a parent coming to that saying, I'd really like my child to read something, but not graphic novels. And then maybe we could open that up and then talk about maybe some other misconceptions that people may, but we think people may have about graphic novels.
1: Fortunately for us, there have been studies that have been conducted on uh, comparing different medias of reading and what they bring to the table. And so in an old University of Oregon study, they looked at rare words. So these are words that occur in the English language or in any language, really, but they're just less common. And so as kids are learning language and learning literacy and all that stuff, it's things they are not going to encounter as often. And it was shown that graphic novels and comic books tended to uh, contain way more average rare words than other mediums, more than children's books by almost double, but even more than adult fiction books, which was super cool to see. And not only that, not only are you getting these new words that kids are learning, then they have a way to figure out what they mean as well, because it's not just the text on the page. You've got the images helping out with meaning there. And it's just so wonderful. So for anybody that says it's not real reading, it is 100% real reading when you're reading graphic novels. It helps with literacy the same, if not even more so. That's great.
2: Visual literacy is a part of literacy overall. The ability to look at a graphic and extract information from it and apply that information to the story that you're able to read is an actual skill, and some people um, don't develop it. That um, can actually be really useful for people. Um, okay, quick side note, my child is finishing high school. And I have watched the transition from a balanced curriculum to a curriculum that really pushes STEM. Mm. It's very, very focused on science and math. All well and good, but being able to read a um, complex image is useful for that too. It's not just about being able to appreciate art and history and the visual representations through time. It is an actual skill. And you can see people who have been exposed to that opportunity to develop that skill at a young age versus people who have to learn it in organic chemistry. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, this isn't just, Um, I like pictures because they're entertaining, that's sufficient in itself, but it really is a gift to your kid to expand their literacy
3: as broadly as possible to include images. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was just gonna say multiple literacies, Mm -hmm. start young. This is a great opportunity to do that, especially when your kids already love graphic novels. And I'm like, okay, if your kid wants to come get graphic novels, like, I'm so glad that your kid wanted to come to the library and get books. Like, let them do that. Because if you're like, no, get a real book, they're going to be like, ooh, the library's a bummer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go there anymore. Right. Or read.
0: Right. You have to have veg- the vegetables. Yeah, the vegetable books. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But that's. <laughs> That's the, but that's all. the we should never discount the artistry that goes into these things. I mean, it's not just cart. It's not cartoons. And that's not even to discount cartoons. Cartoons are are wonderful. Yeah, I know.
1: (laughs) I just wanted to bounce off something Drew said there too, where you were talking about how, like, interpreting pictures and all that is its own form of of literacy and stuff. And like, some of my favorite moments in graphic novels that I've read, or in picture books even too, not just graphic novels, are moments where they are completely wordless and it's all just the images showing part of the story. One of my favorite is not actually a graphic novel, but it is kind of half a graphic novel, The Invention of Hugo Cabaret by Brian Selznick. And that one is, you look at that book, it is like three inches thick, but then you open that book and there's like a chapter of just straight text. And then there's like Fifty-page spread of this beautiful pencil drawings that are telling the story, and each page you're zooming in on something else and learning a little bit more. And it's just without any single word going out on those pages, you can learn so much about the story. And it it's such a cool way of of reading. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I had a book that I, I put out on my favorites uh, shelf very recently by Sean Tan called um, "The Arrival." It is a sepia print, oversized, wordless book. Um, that is broken up on most pages into 16 um, small uh, serial squares. There's some variants, but that's the norm. Um, And it is a metaphor for immigration. And it involves a magical land, somebody immigrates from what to us would appear to be a normal land to a magical land where origami animals live and pets are used instead of currency and all sorts of amazing things. Um, but the illustrations are very realistic, and the time period is very clear. And three different characters are able to give their background of, of why they why they were forced to emigrate. And when I shared that with um, my four four year old niece and seven year old nephew, they had a lot of empathy. They had a strong empathetic response because the story was being told in their head by them. They weren't being given words and it caused, I think, a more imaginative empathy to these characters' stories than a more traditional telling of, of, an, of an immigration tale would have.
0: Transition into talking about our all-time favorites, which I'm sure was hard to nail down.
1: I, I have to confess uh, to everybody, before this started at like 2.30, I messaged Jeff on chat and I am just like, there is no way I can come up with only three as my top graphic novels. So I apologize in advance. I tried to bring it down. I threw out some titles as we went through the other questions. <laughs>
0: no, this is This is the graphic novel, like, this is where we're going to just show our fandom. And, and I, I think let's...
1: Yeah, I'm sure I'm not alone here either. So. If we
0: go into five, six, seven, eight, well, let's just do it. Who wants to go first? Who 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 has an answer to go right away? Like, and these don't have to be ranked. You don't have to say this is number one, two, three. Just
1: all right. I'm not shuffling through my pages, so I'm all gonna right. Um, we're going to start with the Backstagers by James Tinian the Fourth. It is a comic series turned into trade volumes, whatever. Um, yeah. so it is about a high school backstage crew for theater and about a magical area in the backstage where your like things get lost, it connects in all different ways, there's magical creatures. If you have read The Lumberjanes or if you are interested in The Lumberjanes, you will also love The Backstagers because where The Lumberjanes is a group of all girls in camp until later volumes, but uh, all girls in camp on their adventures, Backstagers is uh, with all boys and their experience in high school theater, which, I mean... This is, it was basically written for me as a child, but I just didn't have this in my life until I was an adult. So lots of fun, very goofy. Yes.
0: I was on the backstage crew in high school in the musicals. I was never on stage. I can't wait to read this.
1: Oh my gosh. So good. It is also extremely queer friendly. Lots of representation everywhere. Just yes. Get on that. Amazing. I
3: need it, but in an orchestra pit because that's where I was (laughs) during musicals.
1: (laughs) I was on stage and I still loved it, so. I just realized that sounded like, I was like, oh, I was on stage. Like, no, absolutely show. not. <laughs> I was not that great, but I had a good time.
0: Julie, what's one of your favorites?
3: Oh, okay. I, I will rank them.
0: Okay, I love it.
3: Okay, because this, I think, is my number one favorite graphic novel. And it's a memoir by Moa Romanova, and it's called Goblin Girl. Hmm. it's basically about a very broke depressed struggling artist college age and you know she's struggling she's going through it and she is like let me turn to tinder you know why not seeking some kind of external validation here and she matches with the celebrity and she meets up with this guy and she's like wow is this gonna make my life better? And he even offers to fund her art. But then the story turns (laughs) and there are some really weird, dark strings attached, very obviously, Um, but it's great because it's a very serious story that talks a lot about severe power imbalances, gender norms, mental health struggles, poverty. A lot of really serious things, but the illustration style is, like, very goofy. It's silly. The illustrator plays with proportions a lot. Like, everyone just kind of looks a little wonky. So it's, like, a great... And this is one of the things I love about graphic novels. I tend to lean more towards, like, serious, realistic stories. And I love when that's paired with, like, very whimsical, goofy art because it makes it very much more digestible when it's like these really difficult topics that you're talking about. Um, It's funny, it's honest, and it'll really sit with you for a long time. Like I read this book years ago and I still think about it constantly. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. How about you, Drew? I do have a number one. Nice. Um, It's Habibi. I do
0: too. I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's Habibi by Michigan's own Craig Thompson. So it is a true sprawling epic. Um, this is unlike most of what I read, not something that's easy, easy to put down, not something that's serialized. It is the story of um, refugee child slaves. So like Julia said, heavy stuff. Um, and what happens when they are um, an older nine-year-old girl, a small four-year-old boy, she's trying to raise him and protect him. They get split up. Um, it takes place over the course of about twelve to fourteen years. Um, there's fear, lust, greed, uh, a lot of about the human frailty, a lot of death. Although our main character survives (spoiler), um, and it's just it reminds me of like a true piece of academic. Ac- it should be an academically lauded work. Yeah, the pictures are incredibly detail. There's um, beautiful edging on every page, similar to what you would see in a highly decorated Quran. Uh, a matter of fact, on my bookshelf, it looks an awful lot like the Quran on my bookshelf um, in terms of the cover and the cover art. And sometimes the art does something that I really love in graphic novels, which is it tells you your narrator is unreliable.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: by going through and interpreting the visuals, you can learn much more than what is being told to you. And that allows you as the reader to have that moment of, "aha, I mm-hmm. know something here that maybe even the main character telling me what's going on doesn't know. And I love that feeling in all forms of fiction. But for me, um, the depth, scope and emotional complexity of Habibi just makes it an incredible work of art.
0: I am all for having Graphic Devils. I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm old and I just don't know to be taught in a curriculum in advanced placement English classes right up there with Tale of Two Cities or Anna Karenina or Awakening or Things Fall Apart. And I think that book is a contender for sure. The artwork is amazing. I do know what my number one is, we'll get to it later. It's been mentioned several times on this podcast actually i'll just i'll just my number one so yeah (laughs) actually let's go ahead and talk about saga (laughs) because the book i'm holding is going to be in reference to saga but yeah um if you listen to the podcast you know i love saga (laughs) by brian K. Vaughn and it is a not a not a not a doomed love story but um an imperiled love story and a story about a family and a um uh, these this is an outlawed love. These are two warring species, and you know they come together. There's a daughter, and we are following this this memoiristic story that is full of adventure and love and violence and lots and lots of heart and lots and lots of really light moments and scary moments. Damon, your thoughts on saga? I'm sure shot sagas on your list.
1: Uh, I mean, you're summing up pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I could ramble about saga for hours, and I will choose not to do so right now. It is one of those things that I am not typically, and I said this in the sci fi podcast too. I think I am not typically super into like space opera style um, anything mm-hmm. where it's like people from all these different planets, intergalactic war going on, all of that stuff happening. Because sometimes it's just like too much to keep track of. But the way Saga does in framing it around this familial relationship and how all of their connections between all these people and places they meet and how that all works makes it. So, so, so good. I mean, I have never screamed at a book until Saga. I have cried at books before and after and during Saga, but never screaming. I literally threw the book across the room at one of the volumes. Um, and thank goodness it's back.
0: It's Yes, it's, uh, it's really a survival story, isn't it? And not necessarily always harrowing survival. Sometimes it's a little bit mundane survival. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's day-to-day living and travel and evolution of this family so saga once again love fest for saga continues just
1: if you do end up reading it don't get attached to anybody (laughs) literally anybody literally anybody because you will be angry later
2: another heavy thing that the graphic novels do well that saga does exceptionally well is the narrator is a child that's right and there's a lot of grief Mm -hmm. um and i Find that that representation of grief reads so much more realistically to me than how grief and children's interactions with the world generally yeah. have been presented.
0: Yeah, and there, and I, in my head, uh, I always read her as two different tones of voices. Every time there's a voiceover coming in, looking back, on, uh, on an adult on what she experienced. Transitioning into this book though, called The Sender by Jeff Lemire. Anyone read this one? Okay, great.
1: I'm familiar uh, with Jeff Lemire, but yeah.
0: Could be, be for fans, fans of Saga or for fans of Star Wars. I think this would be a good one for you. Uh, it is about uh, a futuristic galactic sort of situation where these gigantic godlike robots called Harvesters are showing up and wreaking havoc and destroying planets and destroying people, and it leads to robots being, I guess, outlawed. Yeah, robots are outlawed. And this little sweet android tim wakes up 10 years after the fact that robots have been outlawed and so he's going to be hunted by bounty hunters who do not like robots anymore thanks to those evil harvesters but it turns out that um r2d2 style tim might have some secrets inside of his circuits that would maybe help fight these harvesters uh and he gets a robot dog and he meets other friendly robots and he gets a found family and they go on adventures and it's well it also has this like really mesmeric sometimes watercolor style mm-hmm. that I really, really like. So shout out to Dustin Nguyen for some great uh, illustrations. Awesome. Damon, what, what's up, what else do you got?
1: All right, we're going to switch gears away from dark and deep and war and violence to something happy and uplifting. So I put down The Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse by Charlie McAfee, which is... it would. Probably my favorite read of 2021 when I read it. It It is less a story and more a collection of things to keep in mind. And so it follows these four characters, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Got kind of a Winnie the Pooh vibes with that. Love it. Um, and the art is like this beautiful, just like pen and ink on most of it. But then there are a few pages that are water- watercolored that really stick out. Um, like one of my favorite moments in it is just the boy and the horse are talking and he's like horse what's the hardest thing you ever had to say and the horse is like help and that's just the whole page and that's that whole part of the story like it's not really a story and it's just i want to get so many of these things framed i still haven't done it i'm still saying it a year later but um beautiful beautiful book really quick read one that you probably want on your coffee table lovely
3: okay well this book also has a horse so that's fun um (laughs) continuity um it's coyote dog girl by lisa hanawalt coming back to lisa hanawalt Mm -hmm. i just love her so it has like the coolest protagonist ever she's half dog half coyote she's like super brave super independent she's very talented equestrian She sews her own crop tops. That's like integral to the story for some reason. A very important detail. Um, So the story follows Coyote and her trusty steed, Red. And they're going on one of their classic adventures. I love that the book acts like you know them. They're like, on another adventure? And you're like, yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so they're just out and about. And their trip gets interrupted. a pack of vengeful bad dogs again we don't really get that much backstory we just know something happened in the past (laughs) but it ends up separating coyote and red coyotes injured but she's found by a pack of coyotes love love that (laughs) and gains strength then goes out on like a solo adventure which she has to reckon with because she does not like being alone. So that's fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, has to try to find Red again. And it's a very like playful take on a Western. It goes from like Hannah Walt's really classic like slapstick, like punny kind of humor to like very bleak in a matter of pages. But it's got a really fun, bright, silly, illustration style and it just like plays back and forth between the story and the illustration i love it love it yeah
0: i love it. and that that sounds a little bit like um tuca and birdie and certain in that sort of fast contextualization yes. exposition you know these two exactly. you know what they're up to yeah. and i like that invitation of the author to just say come just come on along have fun with this yeah. just come on yeah i love
2: that yes how about you drew My favorite comic compendium that I go back to over and over again is John Allison's Giant Days, um, which I believe there are 13 volumes of if you count the the original prelude. So it's about um, three uh, students, uh, initially there's there's three main students starting their university education in England. One is a beautiful, innocent, sweet-natured person. One is a uh, well, you go straight into your medical education, there's no pre-med education, is a very driven, anxious, focused um, medical person. And the other one is a spoiled, rotten, emo goth girl, lots of skulls, adorable leggings. The art is bright, simple, fun, and quick. Um, along the way, they pick up boyfriends, they have conflicts with people who live around them, uh, they discover drinking. Um, lots of like developmental milestones of early adulthood are touched on, usually in really hilarious ways. Each character grows and becomes more complex, but always in a way that remains true to the ideals that you see the characters begin to claim for themselves. So there's moments of self-identity, and there's moments of external Um, pressures on people and how they respond it's really just fun Um, Mm -hmm. and I go back to them over and over again whenever I need basically an intellectual palate cleanser
0: excellent Uh, I have brought black science to the table by Rick Remender and it is so twisty there are twists every 15 pages it so instead of maybe like black magic they are dealing in black science and is talking about uh, this future where there is the anarchistic league of scientists. And if you are getting into Marvel and you're really into multiversal stories, this is uh, nothing but that. They are just hopping into different, different um, realities by using this thing called the Pillar. And it's about this group of scientists. I think there's six or seven, and it's a diverse cast. And, well, spoiler alert. If you, I mean, really, this isn't a spoiler alert. One of them of course is going to kind of sabotage the whole mission and then they all get lost and then they have to keep their way back and what's gonna happen. The uh, illustration style is kind of uh, heightened at points um, but also realistic, but uh, I like the style going on here. It's super fast paced and uh, uh, it has that found family element between the anarchistic scientists that I always enjoy in these stories and you've got some more?
1: I do. And as much as I don't want to mention another Brian K. Vaughn, I have to shout out another one, and that is Paper Girls. Part of the reason I'm shouting this one out is it is complete, so you can read it from start to finish. don't have to wait for any more volumes or issues to come out, you can just dive right in. Paper Girls is kind of like uh, Stranger Things meets Time Travel, mm-hmm. and it is delightful. Um, it is dark it is gruesome but it follows this team of girls who are paper girls for the neighborhood and how they get caught up in this timeline mystery um and all sorts of ridiculous stuff going on aliens always always right of course of course (laughs) (laughs) aliens monsters everything right so um very 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 cool i enjoyed it a lot how about you julia
3: Okay, well I only have three, so this is my last one. <laughs> it's Stone Fruit by Lee, Lee I think when I wrote this list down, I thought, wow, do I only read kind of sad stuff? I don't know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's seeming like that. Well, um, this story follows Bron and Ray, uh, which it, uh, they're a queer couple. They often care for Ray's six-year-old niece, Nessie. And the book kind of starts out with very crazy illustrations. There's like these primitive monster, but like in the best way, looking people running around. And you're like, wow, what is going on here? And that is just like the representation of Bron, Ray and Nessie's like play dates because they're very like wild, uninhibited, and they allow for each of themselves to kind of like lose themselves in the moment. And this is like the styles bounce back and forth between this kind of crazy, carefree, monster looking people to like very realistic. Like as the story gets a little bit more serious, because once these play dates kind of pass, Um, we touch on a lot of topics like family tensions, religious trauma, struggles with identity, like some LGBTQ issues, dealing with religious trauma. Um, but when the characters are together and they're outside in the wild, they really get to lose themselves and that art style really reflects that. Um, it's all really great black and white illustrations with blue-toned watercoloring, which really, I think, sets it to, sets it up to be very moody and enhances the tone of the story, but it's very juxtaposed, those two images, but it's a great book. But I did cry at the front desk of the library reading it. <laughs> So if you work a desk job, do not read this book at the front desk. I was worried someone was going to come up and ask me for something, and I was just going to lose it. Um, so recommend it, but in, um, in a place you're comfortable crying. <laughs>
2: so. um, I'm going to recommend another series that is long, long, long complete, and that is Osama Tezuka's series on Buddha. It is eight volumes because of the Eightfold Path of Buddhism. The art style varies um, pretty dramatically. Um, Tezuka was highly influenced uh, by early Disney. So there's an awful lot of super cute, round-faced, (laughs) round-eyed children, often naked, um, experiencing uh, elements from the early life of Prince Siddhartha. Uh, So you get the the fun story of Siddhartha running away from home, traveling across India, questioning Hinduism, discovering aesthetic self-mutilation and caste oppression. And what I love about uh, the series is that um, the art usually reflects the emotional and spiritual state of the characters portrayed. So the children are portrayed in this Disney manner. The adults are portrayed in more ornate manners, and um, Osama Tezuka was capable of many, many, many different styles of art. Um, And he wants to use all of them over the course of this series. Um, I love how a a lot of um, my graphic novel reading um, are either histories or um, memoirs, because um, I think that one thing that serialized visual storytelling can do is take a life that is complex and make it Uh, understandable more quickly than when you're reading, say, a biography of of a subject. Um, It can be difficult for people raised in cultures um, that are not typically exposed to a lot of Buddhism to understand ideas um, such as not um, not being too bonded to things, um, why you would want to limit your interpersonal relationships, and this series, um, really made me feel like, okay, now I'm ready to approach the actual text that underlied it.
0: Right on. I wanted to shout out a very big, very beautiful, very also heavy book. It's also heavy to hold because it is big. It is heavy subject matter. (laughs) Um, It is called My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emily Ferris, who Mm -hmm. writes it and draws it, and it is a fictionalized diary of sorts of this 10 year old who's living in an apartment building in Chicago in the late sixties. And so it's a very tense time because it's late sixties and it's a Chicago and it's a democratic national convention. And there's a lot of like turmoil going on, but uh, one of the girls older upstairs neighbors in the apartment building, what happens to be a Holocaust survivor is murdered. And the book is about her trying to solve the murder, but also meeting everyone And you get to learn about all the people who are living in the building as well as this person. You get to go back to the Holocaust and you see this decorated diary inside of the book. And this girl just happens to be obsessed with kind of horror movies and kitschy, pulpy, you know, horror comics. And that is a big influence on what she but she learns about the real monsters of the world. So it's a beautiful book. Those are my top three. Damon, how how many more you got? I've only got one more. I managed to
1: throw them all out there before this. So doing pretty good. Um, my very last one I have is set in medieval times, and it is called The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. And this book is a young adult book. Um, it follows the story of the prince, who by day is a typical prince, lives in the castle, has servants, has everything, but at night secretly moonlights as the fabulous Lady Cristalia. And so he um, gets to know a person from the village who is a talented tailor and um, gets her help in getting new dresses for himself. And the book, artistically, it's just gorgeous. I mean, I know nothing about fashion, but seeing all the different like dresses and stuff that were made and featured in this book, it was just absolutely beautiful. It is ultimately the story of coming out acceptance and all of that, but it, it it's a beautiful one.
0: Wonderful. That's great. How's everyone feel? We, we went through it all. Covered it. None, none of us had, uh, I mean, timeline-wise, I, I have to mention, I mean, Drew had mentioned that how, how many of these, why the last man? There's a lot of adaptations going on. Paper Girls is about to get a show we should mention, and they're actually going to try to do the Sandman by Neil Gaiman on television, Ooh. and I don't know how I feel about it. But uh, I think it's important to note that, you know, these amazing things you're seeing, their source material is graphic novels. So why not check some out from your library? Uh, Drew and Julia, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks yes. for having me.
0: Damon, thanks always a
1: pleasure. Me. I was going to say, you're not going to thank me for being here? Okay. You're Sorry.
0: Properly thanking the, the newest visitors to our podcast. I see. I Damon, see. Damon, Damon, you've become a regular, though. We always appreciate <laughs> always appreciate everyone coming to to join <laughs> us on these podcast episodes um we will have information about all these titles in the show notes so thank you for listening to another episode of a little too quiet it's the ferndale library podcast and it's brought to you by the friends of the ferndale library the music you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician john duffy and if you want to support this podcast please go to ferndalefriends.org or please remember to rate review and subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about us especially if they love graphic novels We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.